0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the State of Mind podcast, where we bring you conversations about mental health that change lives by bringing you the stories underneath the slogans. We want people to know they are empowered by their experience, not inhibited. On this episode of the podcast, we have Debbie Perrain to discuss workplace mental health and HR practices. Over the past 25 years, Debbie has worked with 200 CEOs and leadership teams to facilitate transformation projects with companies like Accenture and Morneau-Chapelle, as well as working in just about every type of industry you can imagine. She is a highly skilled coach, consultant, and facilitator. She shares a wealth of knowledge about how companies have transitioned into the 24-7 work week, how people are managing work-life integration, and where our current workplace culture sits in terms of supporting employees with their mental health and well-being. We talk a lot about the balance between individual responsibility and how organizations are also responsible in supporting the needs of their employees, and Debbie is as you will hear, very wise and skilled and thinks through situations quite thoroughly. And I think you'll learn a lot from her. I certainly did. So without further ado, I bring you Debbie Pearmain. Hi Debbie, thank you for being here and and doing this. Can you please introduce yourself and uh, maybe tell people how you Got to where you are with your work and your kind of personal relationship to mental health and what you do in your job.
1: Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Yeah. And it is a pleasure to be here with you today. Um so I work in human resources as a consultant, and I've been doing that for over 20 years. I started consulting. Wow, probably about 17 years ago, after having uh, my kids and just really wanting to have some more balance in my life, and I probably got into the mental health space about eight years ago. I started doing work with a company called Morno Chapelle, and they were really instrumental in the Bell Canada, you know, the Let's Talk Day and all the mental health training. Um, they developed and then were delivering it in workplaces across the country. So I was involved with that, which was pretty amazing. And, you know, I've always been really involved with training and development and employee engagement and um, leadership development. So this was just really a natural evolution for me. Um, You know, I still do all of those things, but I'd say in the last couple of years, the mental health part of my work has really grown and increased and yeah i'm super thankful and grateful to be doing that work
0: great thanks and how i'm curious on that note how how do you, did you see the the emergence of bell let's talk and the emergence of this important this conversation i guess salt culturally excuse me and also professionally or in the workplace how did that emerge and how do you think companies have pivoted or incorporated that into what they're trying to do
1: yeah so really good question i mean i would say you know companies have always been really invested in training and learning and development. So we just know that when we can increase people's skills, then things like productivity goes up, motivation goes up, employee engagement, commitment, loyalty. Those are all drivers, right? Um, Training and development are real drivers of productivity and motivation and loyalty and commitment. So that's definitely something we've known for a long time in HR. Right. And then, as I think as people's education and awareness around mental health has increased, what we've also seen with, I think, a huge piece of it is this implementation of, you know, technology and iPhone, every iPhone, smartphone, tablet, 24 7 expectations, globalization decrease in, in work-life balance, boundaries, you know, all of that has really impacted people's overall, you know, sense of well-being. And how that's been affecting workplaces is employers have been noticing a trend over time of things like engagement decreasing and productivity going down and motivation going down. Um, At the same time noticing trends like more absenteeism or what we even just call presenteeism right Right. which is where we show up and we're getting our paycheck and we're getting the bare minimum done and then we're we're heading home so so really we're noticing those trends in the workplaces and then of course researchers have been studying all of this for a while and you know even just prior to COVID the statistics were something like 500,000 Canadians a week are off work because of mental health issues. And it it costs our economy, I think at some point, it was like $51 billion a year. So it's costing employers more money. They definitely Mm -hmm. are seeing the impacts of this. It's the leading cause of long-term disability in Canada right now. Um so I'd love to believe that the reason why employers got into this was altruistic. I'd love to believe it's because employers really care about people's mental health and well-being and I do think there's a degree of that for sure, but I also think it's because they recognize the impact it's having on the bottom line. Right. And so it's now just making good business sense to be giving employees training and coaching around a lot of aspects of well-being you know mental health being one of them i teach probably 15 different workshops right on different topics related to well-being
0: well i wrote this down because i didn't want to forget can you explain to me how when companies say engagement Mm -hmm. What does that mean kind of? And and maybe an example of a not engaged employee or situation versus an engaged one.
1: Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So it's definitely an HR term and I do what are called engagement surveys in companies. And so a lot of organizations do engagement surveys And what they measure when they're looking at engagement is everything from whether or not people feel a sense of purpose and meaning coming to work every day, uh, whether they're learning, growing, developing, uh, their job satisfaction, how people feel about their work environment, whether they feel safe, whether they feel comfortable, whether they feel it's positive. looking at aspects of culture, so things like diversity and inclusion, how is the health and well-being of the workforce. Right. Uh, we also look at things like performance management, safety, um, whether or not workplace expectations are clear, You know whether policies and procedures exist, whether they're helpful or not. So on engagement surveys, we measure a whole host of things. I think most of the surveys I do have between sort of 10 to 15 categories. And then within each category, we ask a number of questions. And so the idea is you're really just kind of doing a pulse check, right, to get a sense of how do employees actually feel about coming to work every day? And that is what we would then say, whether they're engaged or not engaged, and you right. can actually put a score on it. And then the idea with the HR piece is that you then put together programs and you know services offerings to then help improve whatever aspects of engagement are not seen favorably in the eyes of the employee. Because there's always a gap in perception, right? Between what leaders think and believe versus how employees actually are experiencing and feeling what's going on.
0: Yeah, I'm curious on that. From what I know of some of the literature, I guess, on workplace engagement or purpose, meaning kind of those things is, and I'm curious what what your experiences around this, If I'm someone who is things in my personal life are relatively good. I'm healthy, physically, emotionally, my relationships are relatively healthy, uh, but I'm coming to work and work is just boring and kind of not very fun, exciting, et cetera, versus someone who actually might really like their job, but is really struggling personally, or they're having family conflicts or outside the office life is difficult yeah um how how maybe do those i don't know can can you speak to those two different scenarios and how that might impact engagement or how our workplaces is it kind of just a blanket here's what we're going to do to be helpful to our employees Mm. or is there nuance in how they're supporting people inside and outside of the office
1: hmm yeah, so lots of good things that you just said there. I mean, I think there's a couple of things that come to my mind. So one for sure is there's no more work-life balance, right? So again, going back to the introduction of things like you know these devices, you yes. know, back in the day, you know, my, when my dad comes to visit and when my kids were young and I'm working from home and we're you know, doing our thing, I remember him saying to me like you must be so stressed and it was interesting for me because I'm like well like what do you what do you mean and just his perspective of you know he was like the president of a, a large company and he's like when I would come home from work at the end of the day, no one got a hold of me after work hours. Like the, the home telephone never rang for a work call. Yeah, right, right, And if it did, it was because it was an emergency, like a true emergency. Or if it was the weekend, it was the weekend. And I was able to be with my family and be on my weekend. However, I wanted or needed the weekend to be. Or if I was on vacation, I was on vacation. And so right away, it was kind of like this realization of, you know, our work lives and our personal lives are completely enmeshed, right? So think about that. We know in psychology enmeshment is like really unhealthy. And the new term now when I do training is actually called work-life integration because the work-life balance has gone out the window. So that's my first point. And if we believe we're supposed to be searching or finding or achieving work-life balance, we have set ourselves up for failure and disappointment at the outset because we will never achieve it in the world that we live in today. And so we need to completely change our mindsets. And so this idea of work-life integration is reality. And then what are the skills and strategies we need to have for that integration? So the second thing that comes to mind as you are asking that question is, so if that's the case, the lines are completely blurred now between work life and personal life. So absolutely what goes on in people's personal lives impacts their engagement and how they show up in their work life. Like even more so now with COVID and most people working from home and kids also no longer being at school and being at home, there are, yeah. there, the lines are completely blurred. So that's another reason why employers have started to realize and understand that it's just not just good for people, but for business to be helping and supporting employees with things outside of work right? Before it was the employer only cared about what happened to you, Mike, between the hours of nine to five, because that's when they had you. Now the lines are all blurred. So you, they kind of have you not 24 seven, but I don't know, maybe 16 <laughs> seven, right? And <laughs> right. so yeah. because of that and the recognition and the realization of that, it's like, how are people's personal lives affecting them at work? How are people's work lives affecting them at home? And the answer is, they are absolutely affecting both sides. So what I've really seen as a trend, I'll just you know think back twenty years ago when I started in HR, like hardly yeah. anyone really did EAP. Now it's just kind of mainstream. Or and sorry, just yeah,
0: that just that that means employee assistant plan.
1: Sorry. Yes. No, that's okay. Yeah. Programs. Just for people. Yeah, listen. yeah. Employee assistance programs are now pretty mainstream or, and
0: what are those? Can you just explain what that kind of means? Like, what does that look like?
1: Oh and, yeah. yeah, absolutely. What I, and then what I was also going to say is for example, in benefits, so right. many employers didn't even have benefits. Now you're not a good employer if you don't have benefits and even the small businesses have some kind of benefits no one would have thought to have counseling 20 years or 30 years ago as part of benefits. Now people are adding things like fitness memberships, counseling, coaching, um, and all kinds of other, you know, different aspects to well being. Before you just had your medical and dental covered, now everything from the osteopathist to the acupuncturist to, right? So yeah. there's a recognition that all of that absolutely is impacting people's well-being and therefore their engagement performance and motivation can um, you
0: sorry can you explain yeah. the difference between benefits and EAPs?
1: Yes, Employees, absolutely. Yeah. And then I, I okay. want to also answer your question about like what is EAP? So yeah. First of all, there's kind of different levels of services that employers will provide people. So the employee assistance program is usually run by a company that provides just that. So we, you know, examples would be like Morneau-Chapelle or LifeWorks or Homewood Health Solutions. And essentially the EAP, they do a whole bunch of things from providing employees with access to counseling. And that access is a lot faster than what most people would find um, in their community. So I can tell you examples where, you know, I had a friend recently try to get some counseling for, for one of their children, you know, phoned a bunch of places in our community and the wait lists were two to three months. When you phone EAP, you will hear from a counselor in 24 hours and you will get an appointment within seven days. So EAP providers have counselors who work for them and that's part of their service. Now, the difference obviously is with EAP, there's a set number of sessions that each employee gets. And that depends on the employer's plan. Some offer three, some five, some six. It's considered to be brief counseling and it's sort of like a bridge to help people who might be kind of in a, in a crisis situation or really in a, in a challenge. Um, some people stay on with those counselors when they're done because they've developed relationship and some people move on to then find someone else. So it can kind of bridge the gap while you might be waiting for someone Um, But EAP provides a lot more than just the counseling. So some EAP providers um, have coaches. Like I work for an EAP provider also as a coach. And I do a lot of coaching around wellness, well-being, mental health. Definitely, we know there's a bit of a stigma in our society. And it's interesting to see the trend where when you look at numbers of who tends to call the EAP program, most often it's um, females in the household and they'll either call for themselves or for like the couple to get help or for a child. Not a lot of men call the EAP. That's that's one of the trends that we see. Um, the fact that EAP providers are now offering coaching as well, I think is in response to that because mm. there, there's a bit of a bias, right? And even if I think of myself before Christmas, I had you know 15 clients a week that I was coaching. 13 of them were men. So that's interesting, right? That there, is, there's yeah. a different perspective, I think, for men. Oh, I'm getting performance coaching. And the truth, Mike, is what I was coaching them on was things like stress management, mental health, mindfulness. Um, so that's interesting. And then yeah. EAP also provides resources. So they have videos. They have like a hub that employees can go on to and you know, lots of articles, but short videos on different topics. They provide books, learning. So it's kind of a one-stop shop for employees um, around a whole bunch of things. Finances, okay. they help with finances, they help with counseling, they help with stress, they help with career management. So they're, the scope of what they provide is quite broad. So cool. that's the EAP piece. And right. then you ask yeah. about benefits. Yeah, And so the difference is just every employer has different benefits that they offer. Some employers will offer, um, you know, maybe $500 a year. That's pretty standard for someone to see a psychologist. Um, they'll, and the challenge, as you and I both know, is if they only recognize someone like with a psychologist designation, they don't, for example, recognize a registered clinical counselor. Right. So again, depending on who you end up seeing, certain benefits plans are are strict in terms of um, the limitations of what they cover. And a lot of benefits plans are pretty rigid around things like they just will support medical services and not so much the paramedical, or if they do support paramedical, it's still not broad. Mm -hmm. Like it could be physio and chiro um, and massage but right. not necessarily other things that we know help with wellness and well-being like osteopathy or acupuncture even things like meditation and mindfulness so right yeah so and, i hope that answers your question that Just does it's helpful
0: yeah the, yeah and what about um like dental would that be in there too sometimes like yeah, dental, dentals right.
1: under benefits right. yes yeah
0: so okay Cool. Yeah, I I think. Do you think those lines are going to like, do you think it'll merge into one thing eventually? Or do you think it's better off that they're separate?
1: it's interesting i mean it really depends on the way the business is set up and there's they're just different business models right Right. so there's companies out there that say they're an employee assistance program provider and here's what they cover and then other businesses have set themselves up as a benefits plan administrator and here's the services they cover right and there yeah i mean i think people are starting to expand their product offerings. I wouldn't be surprised. You're already starting to see certain um, companies. I feel like Morneau Chapelle is a good example where they've started merging and acquiring other businesses to add to their already existing business model and service offering. So I think we're going to see probably more of that happening for sure.
0: Cool. Okay. That was a bit of a, offshoot of what I wanted to ask you about integration I really like that you were you were mentioning you know work-life balance is basically out the window and now we quite I think you're right on in terms of this is I think you said reality this is reality so we better learn to position ourselves uh, to it in a way that is more helpful so what can you describe that Integration piece a little more and how you mm. work with that with clients, or just how you what that looks like for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so there is something in emotional intelligence when we like I do assessments on emotional intelligence, and there's different components of emotional intelligence that we measure. And one of them is this concept called reality testing. <laughs> And it's really interesting, Mike, because we all have various degrees of this concept of reality testing. And for people who score lower in reality testing, how that presents itself often, when I'm coaching them or talking to them, I'll often hear them say things to me like, can you believe this happened? Or they seem really surprised about certain things that are going on. And to someone that's outside of them listening, right? Who can be more objective because they're not sort of emotionally connected to what's happening. Often as the observer, my internal answer is yes, I can absolutely (laughs) get it because that's what I see happening. Right. And Mm. so this idea of reality testing, let's talk about it around this concept of work-life balance, like work-life balance is not possible anymore. We don't have clear boundaries. We don't have them. The minute we bought a phone, we accepted the loss of some boundaries right? The minute we got into the internet, like we, so, so the reality of the, the world we live in today is it's volatile. It is, um, fast paced and it is changing on an instant. That is what's true. That is what's real. And so I feel like with a lot of people that I coach, part of what I end up doing is really just helping people get grounded in the truth or the reality of their circumstances and situations. That's really the first step. Because when I think of, you know, part of coaching is you're trying to get people to this place of personal accountability, right? You can't be accountable until you have the courage to really see it like whatever it is, but just to really see the truth about whatever's going on. That's really the first step, isn't it? And then once you can see the truth, right? The next step is you got to own it, what whatever the it is, and then you want to solve it and then you want to do it. So there's kind of these four steps. So let's go back to work-life integration. Okay. Mm-hmm. So number one is Our boundaries are being challenged like never before. So this concept that we're going to achieve balance is setting us up for failure, disappointment, frustration, resentment, anger, you name it. So let's get our heads around the truth, which is there aren't boundaries anymore. And once we can see the real situation that we're living in, not the one that we wish we were in, or that we've made up in our minds to keep us, you know, happy and and healthy and whatever we've done in our heads, right? The reality. Then it's a matter of how do I work with this reality? So here are my challenges, whatever your challenges are. And now let's problem solve around the challenges. And I can't really give, you know, a simple answer to the question because for each person and what I've noticed even in COVID is we're all going through the same things, but every person's experience is their own. It's completely different. So if you and I were to have this conversation, your current work-life challenges would be different from mine. Mm-hmm. We both are having work-life challenges. So sure, I can come up with a few, you know, here's a, here's a couple things that might help everyone. But real coaching is more, tell me, Mike, about your work-life integration challenges. And then let's problem solve around those for you right? So it's not like a one size fits all approach. And I feel like so often in training, they're just like, give me five steps that are going to fix my work-life integration challenges. And I'm like, well, I can suggest five things, but maybe only one is really relevant to you. (laughs) Right? So what would one be? One might be set realistic boundaries. Mm -hmm. You have to have some boundaries. Just because you own this doesn't mean you have no boundaries, what are your boundaries? And I yeah. am shocked at the amount of adults I talk to who have not set boundaries with their cell phones. Their kids have boundaries, their kids have parental controls, but they have none. And I, I mean, my question is like, is that healthy?
0: Yeah. Uh, there's another question in that realm. How, how's that working for you is another exactly. good one to ask. Yeah. I, so so setting
1: I, boundaries would be an example, yeah. right? And, and the idea of negotiating boundaries with, for example, your manager around the reality of your current situation. And this is what I coach leaders about is I said, now that everyone's working from home, you cannot have these blanket policies because they aren't going to be working for everyone. So the person who lives at home alone has different work-life challenges, right? To Mm -hmm. the person who's living at home with, with no kids, to the person, one person I coached yesterday is home working out of the kitchen with their spouse, sitting right next to them working all day. And then someone like yourself who might be working from home and has two school-age kids also home all day with you. Like, so we need to actually then have these flexible kind of agreements or understanding but part of what i also teach around work life integration is if you're having if you have a good relationship with your manager then these are conversations that you need to be having is like mike what are your work life integration challenges how can we problem solve them together right mm-hmm. how can i support you with your current challenges what are things I can do to help you? What are things you can do to help yourself? But like, let's partner together to try and resolve this issue for you.
0: Yeah. And those are the conversations I think that when those are not happening, even if it's a non-COVID world, when those conversations don't happen, obviously the outcomes are not ideal. And I think there's a huge... Perhaps there's a lack of awareness about that quote unquote reality. Sometimes when I've worked with managers, this sort of assumption that a conversation, I don't even know if it's an assumption, it's I think traditionally those conversations might not have been had. I think you outlined it nicely too. In the past it was, we have you from nine to five, you come, you go, as long as you're doing what you need to do here, then I'll just leave you alone kind of thing. That reality doesn't exist anymore. So perhaps it's partly a evolution thing where we just have to kind of catch up with the reality of what's happening. And then maybe this is an example. I've heard of um, companies that will submit a workplace leave claim Mm -hmm. anonymously or perhaps without you fill out a form online, then that company takes the claim to your manager and you never have to have a conversation about it at all. Mm -hmm. And that I think maybe in certain extreme situations, that's probably very important but most of the time a simple conversation can solve so many problems Mm -hmm. and so many i know personally if i'm stuck in my head about something if i don't talk to the person about what i'm ruminating on or whatever ruminating or not then i'll never get the outcome i want Mm -hmm. and so i think a lot of people also have been i would say this is more a generalization about younger generations mm-hmm. is that the the environment the safetyism obsession that a lot of young people have grown up around mm-hmm. have have perhaps limited their ability to learn how to ask for help or how do you have difficult conversations about thing, there's things they're struggling with? And they've been taught, oh, go talk to an adult or go talk to a, someone in charge to solve your problem as opposed to helping them learn to have difficult conversations with each other or et cetera. Anyway, it was a bit of a long winded mm-hmm. question, but mm-hmm. how much, I guess, can you speak mm-hmm. to that? Just the, having those difficult conversations and how incredibly helpful they can be and maybe where certain organizations are doing good jobs with that or I'm not sure something uh, in in relationship to that stream Mm -hmm. of thought
1: yeah no no I'm following everything so so you again said a lot of good things so where does my mind go so number one so again if we're going to talk about the reality of the situation we're in right Leadership today is no longer about authority. It's actually about influence. So we can talk about why that is. It's a huge discussion. There's been generational shifts, right? And different generations value different things. And so the way I teach leaders in leadership sessions today is that to be a good leader, you want to be able to influence people because the old idea of I'm your manager, I'm your boss, do it. Cause I tell you to, and I have that authority. Like that doesn't work anymore. So that <laughs> is gone. That's Which is a good the old,
0: thing. I guess that's we could the say, old
1: right? way, Mike. Right. So again, yes, the yes. reality of how you need to lead today is to influence people. Okay. So if we're starting on that point, then the question is how do we influence people? Well, we know from psychology, one of the number one ways to influence anyone is to have a good relationship with them. So how do we then do this in the workplace? We've got to develop, well, okay, and then I go one step further. Having a good relationship, what does that mean? And I'm not trying to simplify it, but the way my brain goes is kind of, it's like a formula. So influence equals relationship, Good relationships equal, what's the foundation? In my mind, it's trust and respect. There's a lot that goes into good relationships, don't get me wrong. But if I really want to get at the foundation, it's trust and respect. So what I'm really working on in my leadership training sessions is helping leaders understand that people will do almost anything for you if they have a good relationship with you and they trust you and they respect you. So that needs to then be the focus. So if you can imagine with me that a leader is like you and I, so I'm your leader and I develop trust and respect with you and we have a good relationship. And then just imagine with me now that you're struggling with anything. What will you be more inclined to do? So you and I have a good relationship. You trust me. You respect me. Fill in the blanks. Now you're struggling with anything. What would you then do? You would probably, what? What would you do?
0: If I needed to talk to you about it, I would be much more inclined to do so. Obviously, yeah.
1: You would talk to me. You might even ask for my advice.
0: Sure, yeah. You but at would, least you would I wouldn't be fearful. You of, wouldn't be. You uh, wouldn't yeah.
1: hide it. You wouldn't. Right, be, exactly. you wouldn't hide yeah. it. So, yeah. so now let's carry on with the conversation, right? Because you said a lot of good things, and I just I put some right. notes sure, down. Sure, sure, sure. We now are talking about mental health. Yeah. Which is deeply personal. And there's still a huge amount of self-stigma and judgment. So there's fear. So if we want employees to call the 1-800 number and use EAP, they have to trust it. If we want employees to come and tell us about their challenges with their workload or with their um, clients or with, they can't prioritize. They have to trust us. They have to trust how we'll receive it. They have to trust what we're going to do with it, how we'll respond, how we'll react. And as you know, trust builds one conversation at a time. So mm-hmm. I, al- I mm-hmm. often mm-hmm. say to leaders, when I teach workshops on understanding and supporting mental health in the workplace, I teach them also for leaders. And I'm like, I don't think it's a realistic expectation to think that your employee is gonna open up to you about their mental health. Yeah. I don't think it's realistic. I think it's realistic to think that you could be a bridge. Like if you see them struggling, you could step in and say, Hey, I see this. I'm worried about you. I care about you. What's your support network like at home? Are you getting help? You know, Hey, the company's got this program that could help you. Um, Now, In fairness, I can also say I have coached a number of leaders who've called me because they're like, oh, help, because my employee did tell me that they're struggling with anxiety or they did open up. And I'm like, first of all, that's an amazing reflection on you. The fact that you have that kind of relationship where your employee feels safe psychologically and comfortable and they trust you is huge. And then the question is now, what will you do with that? And I don't think enough leaders have been taught or trained on what to do with that information in a way that's not damaging to the relationship. Mm-hmm. So, so these are some of the skills, right, that we need to be teaching managers and leaders. And um, also just getting people to break down the stigma. Like one of my favorite parts of my, the workshops that I do is how do we all be part of breaking down stigma in our relationships with people? period. doesn't matter if you're talking about your mom, your neighbor, your kid, your employee, your boss, right? What can you and I do to help break down the stigma so that people know you're safe? You're not going to judge them.
0: Yeah. Well, I really like what you said about the trust is built one conversation at a time as well. I think, I would say part of that leadership model of having influence or being trusted is the leaders have to, I love the saying, show, don't tell. That's why I'm very, I almost get my back up when I see in the um, national standard for psych safety in the workplace, the first unit or the first stage they suggest is getting leadership to write a statement and you put out the statement that we care about mental health and blah, blah, blah. And to me, it's so backwards because those things, I think, present the illusion that we care and we're trying and, and this is a bit of a generalization, but, and then when we have this uh, image that we've presented, that we care, then, we don't hold ourselves responsibility responsible to carry out the things we say we care about and that's the i think it's a huge missing component and i think those statements are they lack in sincerity and integrity a lot of the time so how do we encourage each other to walk the that walk the talk and, and be an example of reducing stigma and being honest and sincere and open um so that's my kind of thoughts around that and i, I think mm. we it seems that we are when you see a leader who does embody the actions less than the talking it's so clear that they're that's the person i want to follow or that's the person i want to be interested in. And I also love that you said, if an employee does come to you with an issue, that's a wonderful example of how good of a job you're doing at creating the space for them to do that.
1: Yeah, and uh, And the safety, right? And the safety. And so, okay, so, and you're absolutely right. Like, we do trust actions more than words. So that's another true statement. And Mm -hmm. so I encourage people to be role models. And so what does that actually mean? So if you're going to try and decrease stigma and you want to create safety and you want to build trust and you want to build respect, what does that actually look like? What do you need to do more of? What do you need to do less of? And you know, there's always a gap in perception between how you see yourself in the world and what you think versus how other people see you and how they experience you, right? We all have blind spots. And so that's another reason why I love employee engagement surveys, because one of the things that we measure on there also is how a person's manager makes them feel about a whole host of questions, and so it's a, it's a way to give a manager a snapshot of the employee perspective, right, the department's perspective on them um, in a way that's safe because it's relatively confidential when you do it through a survey. And again, you know, we, we say in HR like, oh, when we do performance management, employees should be giving people upward feedback. And this all sounds good in theory. But I can absolutely tell you in practice that most of the time when managers are like, and so now it's your turn, Mike, to give me feedback, that you're probably going to be like, Debbie, everything's great. You're a great manager. Thank you. Because again, if the psychological safety doesn't exist, and this is where I actually even say to leaders that I teach, when was the last time you asked for feedback? Number one. Number two, did they tell you everything was great? if they did that's a massive red flag (laughs) so you know that you've got trust and respect when people are willing to tell you the good the bad and the ugly about yourself yeah if people are only feeding you good come on you and i both know that's not true (laughs) like we both know it and so i'm like uncover the blind spots because you can't manage what you're not aware of. So feed, like these are things I say, right? Feedback is your friend. It's better for you to find out. Yeah. So that you then can adapt your style or your approach because at the end of the day, what you're wanting is influence.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's, I wanna just check in with you about the time too. How, are you, how much? Oh, yeah.
1: oh, we should, yeah, maybe five minutes. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Time flies. Um, I mean,
1: we can chat again. You know, me,
0: we can, we yeah. can, um, talk about. there's, Oh, I think I lost my thought was, um, Oh, it was, there's a, a saying it's in, in psychotherapy that therapists want to know if they're doing a good job, but they don't want to hear the feedback (laughs) and so that's such a because i that applies to any relationship really in any place yeah
1: and we all have blind spots right we know again that's when i do these emotional intelligence assessments that's what we uncover yeah we uncover the blind spots because why we all have the ego and the ego is protecting us and so we need to be able to see ourselves the way other people see us and experience us and I think connecting it back to what we were talking about, which is the idea of being a role model, mm. um, what I also wanted to just say, Mark, on the or Mike on the role model piece is, yeah. um, not everyone wants to be a champion of mental health. Sure. And that's also the sad truth, right? So, so I agree with you. Like companies putting out slogans or statements, like that's great. But it's what you said, which is, it's the actions that back it up. And I think there has to be buy-in at the leadership level that the expectation is that they will all be champions of workplace mental health. And we're not there yet. I still am convincing people in leadership positions, that people with mental health issues are not milking the system, are not lazy, are not unmotivated, are not yeah. underachiever. Like So the bias and the stigma is real and it's still there. So there's still a lot of work that we all need to be doing in companies, in organizations, on leadership teams, I think first and foremost, because they will be your change champions and you need their buy-in and their commitment to this if we want to see true change yeah right it has to start at the top
0: it yeah i i think one thing that is important that i don't think is acknowledged a lot is i would say in some sense it's okay i don't think it's a problem if leaders don't want to embrace this whole wave in some sense but i as long as they're not in continuing to have bad practices that are hurting people that's kind of where i would draw the line because i think we need
1: them to be the change champions with the like pom-poms and like the microphone but we need to make sure that they are bought in and committed and not like you said shooting it in the foot
0: right because I, I do think it's, I, and I, it's complicated, obviously, maybe we can go there next time a bit is maybe the workplace isn't the environment for these conversations to happen more. And, and I, I would say, I think it's not, and I would probably disagree with that statement, but I think in certain circumstances, that is a true statement and I think in this whole push, and I think this is where a lot of the pushback comes from, is that we don't have, we don't, we disrespect people's resistance to engaging in these conversations. And then we stigmatize them as bad. And so then that, obviously that creates, whenever we have someone coming at us, our instinct is to put the ball, the walls up. And and that's not good either, yeah. And so how do we, um in some sense i guess i would say all the re- the research that i've read also shows that mandatory training for leadership actually makes things worse so that's another important thing particularly with mental health so yeah how do we not stigmatize those who are having a hard time opening up to this different change in culture um, yeah, and yeah, I don't think that's I think, no.
1: It's a great question. It is a great question, and I deal. I've dealt with this a lot, right? Because I've been doing this now, almost nine years in the workplace. Yeah. Um, and I would say there was more resistance, and I would say discomfort. Right. So what the resistance really was about was discomfort. Not right. that people didn't believe it was important but right. it was just really uncomfortable. And so I agree with you, this is really personal stuff. And so I think we do it gently and slowly. One, again, one conversation at a time right. And right. not ramming it down people's throat and just respecting where people are at in their process of understanding and acceptance is really yeah. important. Like being gracious, like you said. And I also think, well, what I really encourage people to do is take away from the session is start talking about this where you do feel safe. Start talking about it with your family if they're safe. If they're not, start talking about it with your friends, right? Like again, that leap, like you said, to then all of a sudden talking about it in the workplace, like that's a huge leap for some people. Yeah. So then honor where you're at. Like, if that's really uncomfortable and awkward, and right, um, then that's not where you're comfortable yet. So maybe it's just with your best friend or your spouse or your yeah. child, like, or your parent, someone. And as you become more comfortable, right, or more confident, you will start to then have those conversations like in more or less vulnerable places. Does that make sense?
0: That's beautiful. Yeah, no, I think that's so lovely. And you put it perfectly. I, there's nothing else to add to that. I, that's awesome. Thank you. And maybe you didn't mention it before, but just um, your website and where people can get in touch with you and, and those kind of things.
1: Yeah, so... And the
0: name of your business. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah, so it is One Stop HR. And, uh, so it's just one stop CA is important. I think there's a few one-stop HR companies out there and, um, Debbie Permain. and yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I think they can connect with me through you. I'm really excited sure. about working with you on this mental health festival. That's going to be coming yeah. up. I'm sure people know about that. So that's going to be amazing in may and yeah i'm sure awesome. we'll thank again. you yeah yes thank
0: we you. will and and all that info will be in the show notes and stuff like that as well so yeah
1: that's great thank
0: you debbie that was thank so you. awesome so
1: We're much gonna, wisdom one more. And, we'll yeah. just do one conversation yeah. at a time we
0: will okay awesome that's awesome, awesome. Okay. okay have a
1: good day you too bye. thanks debbie bye, okay,
0: bye.